You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Morning, y'all. So this morning we're kicking off a new series, and I just want to set us into it for a minute. The series is based off of one single verse in a book in the Bible in the Old Testament called Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. And in many regards, I think this is probably one of the most important verses in all the Bible. That's why we're going to do an entire series on it. And I think it's one of the most important verses in the Bible because it raises one of the most important questions in all of creation. In in the text, the the author will will wrestle a little bit with God and he will ask this question, what is it you even want of us? And then God gives answer. Like that's not a question you ask one time. You, You begin your walk with God with some form of that question, a mix of questions from who are you, are you real, what do you want? But throughout the course of your life, as you continue to do life with God, you'll ask that question, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want in different seasons, for different reasons, at different times? It's probably one of the most important questions we could ever ask is of the God of creation, what do you want? And he actually gives answer. And he gives a very clear, concise answer in this one verse. The entire book of Micah, I just want to give you a setup to the actual verse that will make the content of the series. The book of Micah is a time like so many others in the nation of Israel where they had just wandered away from God. They were abusing his love. They were abusing his commands. They were making their own form of what it meant to be religious and pious. They were were really acting uh, unfaithfully, not just with God, but even with their community and their neighbors. They were abusing people, taking advantage of people. Like, it was just a very broken time in the nation. And so God speaks to them like any good loving parent who doesn't ignore when their children are misbehaving, but a loving parent steps in and says, okay, here's going to be the consequences because I love you. And so in that conversation, the the nation essentially responds to the prophet like, okay, well, what do do we do? Like, how do we get back to a, a better place with you? So they raise all of these things that what if we did this and what if we did this? Here's what they say to him. With what shall I come back before the Lord? And bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come back to him with burnt offerings? How about with a calf of a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or with 10,000 rivers of oil? He's going, okay, what if we did this? And and what if we did this? And and they're just like doubling down on everything. What if we we sacrificed all of these rams? And maybe it's oil of purification that would flow through rivers full. And they're just going through the list. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions? What about maybe the fruit of my body for the sin of the soul? And then here's the answer. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There there is an entire book attempting to teach us how to do that in the lifestyle of Jesus, in the writings of the prophets, in the writings of the apostles, to ultimately unpack the answer to that question, what do you want from us, and God's response, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So for the next couple minutes, the band's gonna lead us in both scripture on the screen and in song, to just sit in a place of trying to let God prepare our own hearts to hear him speak into what does that mean for us today.
so heavy, you know, thinking through, um, thinking through all the, all the loss this last week, all the tragedy this last week, all the violence that we've experienced this last week with the things happening in California, the things happening in Memphis, it's all over the news and all the things, and just to, you know, it, it begs the question, when we're navigating through all these things. I've had, I mean, I've had conversations this morning where people are just like, man, I'm just, I'm just numb to it. It seems like something different is happening every single day, every single week, right? We're two months into, or in the first month of this new year, we're already dealing with the same old things of the broken world. And then we listen to a song like that that says, we're sweetly broken, but we're wholly surrendered. You say, man, what do we do? How do we navigate this? Where do we... Where do we go? How do we respond? And I, I, think, I think there's a lot of truth in that. That we just, we sit in the brokenness. We sit in the mourning with our brothers and sisters that are, that are mourning and that are broken. And then we're wholly surrendered to God and saying, God, wh- where can I affect change in the here and now? How do you want to use me? What do you want to do in, through, and around me? That's a powerful, powerful song. I mean, it's a little, little old school. Some of you may have been a little bit of a throwback. Some of you, it's brand new. But that's, that's a powerful message, to just surrender ourselves to Jesus and allow him to maneuver and use us and work through, in, and around us and all things. Uh, like Craig said, we are, we are launching a new series today that uh, we're calling Micah 6.8. And uh, we're going to spend three weeks in this passage. And it's a powerful passage. And it can affect a lot of life change in each and every one of us. And I think, I think it's so poignant. It's so, it's so relevant to here and now. And so I've shared my story before, uh, but I'm going to share a little bit of it again today for some of you who may not know. I was, I was raised, I grew up in a, uh, my name's Sam, by the way. Nice to see you. Uh, I, uh, I grew up in a holiness, hyper-charismatic, ultra-conservative Pentecostal faith tradition. Yeah. 
exactly what you're thinking. Some of your eyes went crossed just as I was saying that, okay? I lived that. It was intense, right? That was sort of the faith tradition that shaped my spiritual formation coming up through elementary school, middle school, early high school. Like that's, that's sort of the camp that I found myself in. And when I say holiness, hyper-charismatic, Pentecostal, ultra-conservative, like the whole, the whole deal, some of you are like, what does that mean? Well, to me, through my lens and through my experience, what that meant was rules, 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 rules. I'd come to church, rules, rules, rules. I read the Bible, rules, rules. I mean, everything in my life was rules. It was do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that but more don't do that than there was do this. That was sort of my MO growing up. That was sort of how I viewed Jesus. That's how I viewed a relationship with God. We would, we, uh, in youth group and things, all, this, all the messages sort of centered around all the things that God doesn't like <laughs> and all the things that we should stay away from. How many of you kissed dating goodbye in the late 90s? Anybody kiss dating goodbye? The, the Joshua, you right? It's like, I'm not doing that anymore. We don't date, we don't do that. Right? And then there was like, you don't smoke cigarettes. If you smoke cigarettes, you were already, you know, halfway there to hell, right? Because you already got the smoke coming out your mouth. You're on your way. It's happening. That was my view of God and, and church and right? If you had an alcoholic drink, okay? Nope, you're disqualified. I don't even know if God can look at you if you're drinking alcohol. That I mean that was the that was the faith tradition that I was raised in. You know, we went we'd go to Applebee's. Anybody? Anybody? That was a bougie night out for us, okay? That was it's like, dang, we're going to Applebee's. Like, we, we, we've arrived somewhere, right? And you got the guys drinking the tall boys. I'm like, uh-uh. We, we, I almost want to go over and hand them a track and, like, minister to them. And, you know, oh, sir, you're drinking alcohol. Did you know you're going to spend eternity in hell? Did you know that? Can I lead you to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Like, this is sort of my perspective coming up, right? No rated R movies. That was, like, not going to happen, of course, until the Passions of the Christ came out. And then it was like, well, I mean, it's about Jesus, so... There's a big, big faith, big, you know, chasm of faith there. You know, no radar movies. Uh, we, we would go to these youth conferences. I remember coming up, we'd go to these youth conferences. There was one in particular that we went to every single year. It was called Acquire the Fire. Does anyone remember Acquire the Fire? Okay, I see some hands going up. Acquire the Fire. So it was basically a youth conference where you'd get together, and um, it would quite literally, let me see, how do I put this? It, would, it, it quite literally scared the hell out of me but also scared the hell into me. Like I for sure thought I was going to hell by the end of this conference, okay? That's, that's what would happen. And so the Wednesday night after these conferences, we'd have youth group and it'd be like a repentance youth group and we're all gonna get right with God because we learned all weekend how we're doing it so wrong. And uh, we would uh, have a bonfire after youth group, okay? Some of you who grew up in this faith tradition, you, know, you already know where I'm going. And at this bonfire, we'd bring all of our secular CDs and all of our uh, things of this world and our comic books and our video games, and we'd throw them in the fire because now we're purified for Jesus and, you know, all these. Do you guys know what CDs are? Should I, should I pause and go back to that for a moment? Are we good? They're little circle things to play music, not records, but smaller. Um, but we would do all these things. And in and of themselves, okay, these are some probably pretty okay guard, guardrails for people, you know, like, hey, maybe you shouldn't get like super steeped in some, some of these things and some of these things can be vices and, and destructive to your life and all that. Yeah, I get it. But that wasn't my perspective. My perspective and my understanding is that I believe that that's who God was. I believe that that's what God required of me, that God required me to shun others who were partaking in these things. 
that God required of me to light on fire anything that didn't absolutely 100% glorify him, right? Like I'm, I'm burning my Weird Al Yankovic CDs and crying like, I need to go to heaven, you know? <laughs> that was my perspective of God. I thought that was his character. I thought that was the essence of God. I thought that's what it meant to be in relationship with God. I believe that that's who he was. That's what he required. A big list of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts. And so that's why I love that we're spending some time here in Micah 6, 8. And then the book of Micah chapter 6, because the whole thing is framed in this perspective of what does God require? What does God ask of us? Is it burning all of your secular CDs? Is it going to acquire the fire and, you know, repenting every single night like it's the first time ever, right? Is it living in a lifestyle of checking all the boxes and, and performing all the tasks and doing all the lists? Is that what it means? Is that what the Lord requires? Well, that's the question that's on the table. And so we're gonna spend the next couple of weeks unpacking that. I'm super excited. So let me pray really quick and then we'll jump right in. So let's pray together. God, I pray this morning that, that you would soften our hearts. I pray this morning, I know many of us came in burdened, heavy laden with what's happening in the world around us, maybe what's happening in our families, what's happening at work, maybe what happened just on the car ride in. God, I pray that you'd soften our hearts. I pray that you'd remove any distractions and that we would be able to hear from you. That we would take up a posture to receive from you today. As we're gonna see in a few minutes from your word, your word says that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. God, I pray that we would feel you close this morning. I pray that we would experience your presence. I pray that you would deeply change us today, that we would experience transformation, that we would leave this space different than when we came in. We invite you to do a work in us today, God, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So before we jump into Micah, we do like to take a, an opportunity every, every time we get together to just honor those of you who partner with us on mission and in vision through your consistent giving. It's because of your generosity that Kensington's able to do anything and everything that we do. From our global partners, we have 10 global partners that we work with. We have over 50 move out networks that we work with, even to the point that in the north part of our building right now, we have probably close to 100 kids back there that are learning about Jesus, learning about the love, grace, forgiveness, acceptance of Jesus, learning it in an age-appropriate way to where they don't walk out of there thinking they gotta go burn all their CDs, okay? Even to that, Right, That's all made possible because of your generosity and because you guys believe in what God has called us to do here and you're a part of that. And so we just pause and we honor and we thank you. We say thank you for partnering with us, for making ministry possible. And then those of you who'd like to join us, who'd like to jump in and get involved, this is a great way you can do it. You can scan the QR code. You can text the word Kensington to uh, that number to give. You can give on the app. You can give online or you can, we got these buckets coming through. You can do that or some ways to do it in the back as well. But we just, again, we always like to just pause, honor, thank you for being a part of what God is doing here, an intricate part of what God is doing here and then invite those of you to join us, man. So thank you very much. We, we really, really appreciate it. So we're gonna be in Micah chapter six. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're gonna actually start in verse six. We're gonna hang out in verse six and seven for a second before we get to verse eight. And so Micah chapter six, starting in verse six. It's under, there's a paraphrase above it if you're, or there's, a, there's like a, a statement above it that sort of sets the tone for this passage and it says, what does the Lord require? To sort of focus our hearts, focus our thoughts before we get into this, what does the Lord require? That's the question on the table. And it says this in verse six. 
was what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with, a, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? I like this part. And with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The conversation is, what do I got to do to please God? What do I got to do to be in good relationship with God? What does the Lord require of me? Does he require to burn my CDs? Does he require me to check all these boxes and to do all these things? Does he require me to give something that I can't even give? That's beyond my reach? Thousands of rivers of oil? I got, that's, I don't, nobody even has that. Essentially, is it even possible to please God? Is it even possible to be in relationship with God? What does the Lord require of us? And then in verse eight, Micah sort of gives us the answer. And it's a little different than I think maybe what we would expect. Because you're thinking, okay, well, what does God require of me? He's the God of the universe. He's the creator of all. He's, you know, massive and cosmic and all of this. What does he require of me? And so then in verse eight, he has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, some translations say mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so over the next three weeks, we're gonna take that passage right there and we're gonna break it down. But we're gonna take the creative liberty to do it backwards. We're gonna reverse engineer this passage. So it says, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly? Well, we're gonna do it backwards. We're gonna start with the walk humbly because we believe that it requires, the, fir- the third one is required to set the foundation for the first two. We need to be able to walk with God first before we're able to truly do justice. We need to be walking with God in order to truly love mercy and to love kindness. And so we're gonna reverse engineer this thing and spend some time in it, but here's the deal. What does God want from me? That's the question at hand. What does God require? What does God want from me? And the answer is shocking. He says, I want you to come walk with me. That's what I want. Come take a walk with me. Really, Sam? I mean, yeah, that, that, that's, that's what it says. God wants proximity. God wants closeness. God wants relationship. Notice what he doesn't say. God, what is required of me? Well, first you got to stop sinning. And then once you stop sinning, then you got to learn all the church language. And then once you learn all the church language, you get plugged into a group. And then once you're plugged into a group, then you can join a move out team. Then you can start supporting global. Then you can serve in kids ministry. And then you can maybe be in relationship with, no, 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 no. He says, hey, come on, man. Let's, Sam, let's take a walk. What does the Lord require of me? Proximity, closeness, relationship. That's what God desires. That's where the journey starts. He says, come on, let's take a walk. And oftentimes, that's not our approach. Oftentimes, we come with all the things. We come with all the baggage. We come with all the ideas. We come with all the work that needs to be done. We come with all the changes that need to take place. And we come at God and we're like, well, what about this? What about that? Kind of like my upbringing. Kind of like, okay, I need to check all these boxes. I need to do all these things. Kind of like verses six and seven, 
We're like, God, what do you want? You want rivers of oil? You want thousands of rams? You want my firstborn child? God, what do we need? We come to God and overcomplicate it and say, what, what do we got to do? What do we got to do? What do we got to do to make this happen? What do we got to do to make this happen? And he says, oh, chill, man. Relax. God just wants us close. God wants proximity. God wants relationship. He says, come and walk with me. And then Micah gives us this adverb to sort of clarify how we walk with God. He says, I want you to walk with me, but here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. To describe the manner in which we walk with God, he says, you do it with humility. You do it in a posture that is humble. That's how you walk with me. That's what I require of you. That's what I desire from you, to walk humbly with me. Now, humility is essentially an honest and accurate appraisal of self. It's an honest and accurate appraisal of self. It's right-sizing yourself in light of who God is. And saying, God is huge, massive, merciful, all-loving, all-knowing. That, that's God, amazing, creator of all. And then who am I in light of that? That's taking on the approach of humility. It's right-sizing ourselves with how huge God is and who we actually are. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says that uh, it tells us to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Think of yourselves with sober judgment. Don't come into this thing thinking that you're super great. Don't come into this thing thinking that, you know, you're doing God a favor by showing up on Sunday, right? Don't do, your, don't, don't do this thing coming up saying, I'm so great, I'm so mighty, and God, come on, man, Jesus is my co-pilot. I wear the trucker hat and everything, right? Like, that's my vibe. He says, no, no, no. In Romans chapter 12, he says, think of ourselves with sober, just, with sober judgment. What's the opposite of humility? What is it? Pride. The opposite of humility is pride. Now, what's pride? Well, pride is an inflated view of ourselves. Pride is thinking that we're all that in a bag of chips, right? That, that we are everything that we think we are, that we are just it. You're welcome. I've arrived. I'm here. Now you can have fun because I, my greatness has arrived. Pride is the opposite of humility. It's this inflated view of self. It's this, this sense of self-importance. So what pride will do is it'll create a self-centered individual with selfish living, that we are the center of our universe and everything revolves around us. But humility makes us have this others-centeredness. Humility breeds in us selfless living. And without humility, pride will dominate. And when pride dominates, that trips up our walk with Jesus. It makes us incapable to go on that walk that he's inviting us on. Pride gets in there and it trips everything up. Pride gets in there and dominates everything. It, what it does, it turns us into self-righteous, self-centered, self-sufficient, judgmental people. And so we wonder, why do people outside of the church consider people inside of the church all those adjectives I just listed. <laughs> if we ask people outside of the church, what do you think Christians are? Tell me about Christians. Give me some adjectives to describe them. I think if we're being honest and real with ourselves, a lot of those adjectives would be self-righteous, self-sufficient, self-centered, judgmental. That's all, that's all results of pride in our life. That's a result of the lack of humility in our lives. And so when pride creeps in, that screws everything up. So Micah says, listen, Jesus is inviting you on a walk, but the posture of that walk needs to be humility. You know, Jesus is talking to his disciples in Mark chapter nine. 
and they're arguing about, you know, who's the greatest? Like, who's, no, who's, who's like the number one disciple? Which I love that they're doing that because it shows us that they're real people, right? They're having real life conversations. You got a, lot, a bunch of dudes walk, walking the countryside with Jesus and, and you think they're talking about rainbows, unicorns, and butterflies the whole time. They're not. Like, yo, I'm his best friend, not you. No, man, I'm his best friend. Peter and John are like, no, nah, man, it's me. I'm the top guy. And Jesus hears this. He hears them arguing of who's the greatest and who's the least among them and all that. And Jesus comes back at them in Mark chapter nine. He says, hey guys, check this out. Whoever wants to be the best, whoever wants to be first actually has to take the place of the last. Because it's not about advancing. It's not about being the best. It's not about being the top dog. He says, you need to be the servant of all. See, that's the way of Jesus, this humility. A few verses later in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45, Jesus is teaching again. And this is the famous passage where he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve others. See, that's the way of Jesus. It's a paradox. It's upside down and backwards from everything that our culture tells us, evidently in first century all the way through now. It doesn't feel natural. The human condition is, no, we're gonna do better. We're gonna be better. We're gonna continue to advance. We're gonna get the newest, greatest, latest, everything. And we're gonna continue to move forward. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Chill for just a second. In Philippians chapter two, Verses five through eight, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi and he's talking about Jesus. And he talks about how Jesus was seated on the throne in heaven and he didn't, he didn't um, take equality with God in heaven so much to, to hold so much importance that he came to the earth, humbled himself, put on flesh, lived amongst humanity so that he could connect with us. He took the humble approach of coming into space and time to connect with us. That was so important to him. He says, this is the character of God. This is who Jesus is. And then Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is teaching again. And he's talking about himself. And he says, I am gentle. I have a humble heart. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and downtrodden, and I will give you rest because my burden is light. My yoke is easy. It's this picture of this humble God. Jesus paints this picture of a humble God. And it sounds like a paradox, right? Because we're talking creator of all, humbling himself to commingle with creation. You're like, oh, wait a second. That's not the way things typically go. That's not the order of things. But to me, that's so much of the beauty of Jesus. That's so much of the beauty of following Jesus is the humility of God, God and humility in the same sentence. And then that humble God inviting us to walk with him. And as we spend time on this walk, as we spend time in this journey, spending time with God, walking in humility, walking with a God that is full of justice and mercy and that has a humble posture, it begins to rub off on us. It begins to rub off on us. And you know the saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? It's the same principle. However you spend your time, that's gonna shape who you're becoming. Who you spend time with shapes who you're becoming. And so the more time we spend walking with this God who is a posture of humility, who is full of justice and mercy and kindness, it be, we become more like him in the process. And so the longer we're walking, the more our heart begins to celebrate for the things that the heart of God celebrates. Our heart begins to break for the things that break the heart of God. Our heart begins to long for the things that the heart of God longs for. Our heart begins to be formed and fashioned and shaped to represent the heart of Jesus. 
The longer we're on this journey, the longer we spend time in space close in proximity with him. So much so that ultimately we actually become the presence of Jesus in the world around us. We spend so much time with him in so much proximity that our hearts are fashioned, shaped, and formed, and transformed so much that we become the physical manifestation of the presence of God in the here and now. That's what we mean when we say we're being the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what the scriptures mean when they say we're ambassadors of Christ to the world around us. It's because we've spent time in proximity with him, walking humbly with him, that our hearts are shaped and fashioned and formed to be just like his. And so here at Kensington, we're super intentional to make this happen, to give you practical, tangible ways to be the, the, the presence of Jesus in the world around you. You know, at Christmas time, we show those, those like long videos in the services that are our year-end sort of recap things where we, we give you some preview to some of our global partners. If you don't know this, Kensington has 10 global partners all over the world. We've got, you know, South Sudan and in Bethlehem and Nepal and India. And one of the things that we do is our Hope Water Project for, for the Pokot tribe in Western Kenya. And if many of you may have been here this past Friday night, we had our Hope Water Gala, which was absolutely incredible. This room was transformed into a gala and we had silent auctions and we had mocktails with an M, mocktails over here. Okay, and it was awesome. We had some desserts over here, had plated dinner, had the Detroit Youth Choir here who were like, I mean, my goodness, my head was spinning. It was so amazing. I was like moved to tears during all that. But the whole idea, the reason that we were here was to raise money and awareness for the Hope Water Project. And we had a goal that night. We had these big lit up tubes on the side and each one of them represented a well. And our goal that night was to, to be able to dig eight new wells for the Pocot tribes. One well represents fresh, clean, clean drinking water for 1,000 men, women, and children. One well offers clean drinking water to 1,000 men, women, and children. Guys, clean drinking water changes everything for them. Everything. It changes the entire community. Not only that, it changes the entire trajectory of their family tree. For generations to come, this well will impact their life. And our goal that night was to raise enough money to do eight wells. One well costs about twenty-five dollars to $27,000. Where some of you are like, wow, that's a lot of money. Others of you are like, seriously? I can impact a thousand people and change their family tree and trajectory of their life for that much money? And it's so cool. Our goal was eight. We got to about seven and three quarters. <laughs> so close. But I, I just, I, I tell you that because that's a way that we are being the physical manifestation of Jesus around the world. And many of you guys weren't able to be there. So I, I do want to put the QR code up there because if you do hear this and say, man, that's something I can get behind. That's something I want to be a part of. I want to help them get to the eight goals. Hey, scan that QR code. You, I believe that in this room right now, we can, we can finish up the eight. I think we can go to nine, maybe even 10 wells. Just from the folks in this room saying, you know what? I want to step in and I want to be the physical manifestation of the presence of Jesus in the here and now. That's something I can do. See, Kensington has worked so hard to make this available to you, to sort of come alongside of you and give you resources and ways to do that. And so the Hope Water thing, man, I'm telling you, this was my first gala. Can you tell I'm a little jazzed about it? I feel like I'm like yelling at you. I'm so excited. <laughs> but it was just, it was so powerful hearing some of the stories and seeing some of the, the things that have been accomplished. And, and man, hearing what the impact is that we can have all across, the, all across the globe, just from a bunch of people in this very room. Absolutely incredible. So if you want to give, man, go for it. 
We would love it. We would love it. And you can be a part of bringing clean drinking water to thousands and thousands of men, women, and children. It's absolutely incredible. That's one way we do it. That's one of our global partners. We have 10. They're working all over the globe. Another way that we do this is through our Move Out Network. Our Move Out Network, we have over 50 teams that work regionally in serving our local communities. We have 50 different teams that do this, and it's absolutely incredible across our six campuses, all kinds of ways to plug in and to help. And we are privileged and honored here at the Orion campus. Those of you who are watching online, we're at the Orion campus, welcome. But we're here at the Orion campus, and we have the director of our Move Out teams, Becky Lee, who promised me that if I don't call her the Queen of Kensington, she'll come up here and share. So I'm not gonna call her the Queen of Kensington. Trusting you, Sam. But I, but I kind of just did. But Becky's gonna share. So we, we've dreamed up some ideas and ways that yeah. throughout this series... You can be the physical manifestation of the presence of God. Ways that you can tangibly jump in. It's not just something that we're talking about here on a Sunday morning, but it's something you can jump into and actually get working on. So we're, we're, we're yeah. focusing with Oakland Hope. Yes. So tell we us about it. We have a beautiful opportunity as a community to support one of our Move Out partners, Oakland Hope, uh, by collecting supplies. They work in the community to alleviate hunger. Um, they also have, you're going to see some uh, pictures up here. Oakland Hope is only five miles from here, located in Pontiac. They're the biggest food pantry in Oakland County. They serve and feed over 12,000 people a month. Um, they also have a thrift store, and that actually funds the ongoing mission of the food pantry, which is really cool. They're a self-sustainable ministry. They have lots of great volunteer opportunities there. Um, but we're going to help come alongside the good work they're doing um, by collecting these items. And I love their mission, their why behind what they do. They say, we are motivated by the love of Jesus to alleviate hunger and empower lives, which is just an incredible mission that we get to come alongside. So you'll see some of the items up there that we're asking you to supply. Um, but if you want to join us in this, we want to invite you to take one of these bags on your way out today. There's a card in here that lists the supplies we're going to be collecting, as well as some information about Oakland Hope um, and how you can get involved in there. Um, and then we're just going to have you fill these and bring your bags in over these next two weeks. In fact, Sam, somebody at the nine o'clock already went to Costco See, right after the nine o'clock and it. brought two bags back, which, yeah. is, which is pretty awesome. So, yeah. um, and if you're streaming, as Sam said, just go to the link up there. You'll see the list of supplies. You can bring those in. Or if you're not within driving distance, we just encourage you, do what Sam is saying. I'm, like, lo love local. Find an organization close to you that you can come alongside and support their work they're doing. Um, and then for everybody participating, we really want to ask you, like, Invite people into this. Yeah. So family, friends, neighbors. Um, my this, husband, is a cool, this is a cool yeah. way to do it with your kids. Yeah, this is something your, yes. I saw a family tangible, going yes. out where the kids were holding the bags yeah. and talking about where they were going to shop. Yeah. But also even your neighbors. My husband, Don, and I, we have um, put things on our neighborhood Facebook page before when we've been collecting supplies. And we've been blown away by the generosity of people in our neighborhood that just wanted to come alongside and help. And it also like opened up some, some new friendships for us. Um, so we want to ask you to do two things as you're thinking about filling these supplies. Pray for the people that are going to be receiving these. These are our neighbors, right, in our very own community. Um, so pray for them. Um, and also, uh, just, again, encourage, like, how can I be the presence of Jesus? How can I get involved? How can I take a step in addition to these supplies? Maybe it's volunteering at Oakland Hope. Maybe it is looking at our Move Out Network. As Sam said, we have over 50 teams. And you'll see up here, we're going to do um, a Move Out virtual event on February 13th. And this is just to help you 
explore like what has God put in my hand? How might I step into ongoing volunteer work with one of these move out teams in the community? So we just really thank you in advance for uh, joining us. with yeah, this. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. So there's gonna be these bags out in the lobby when you walk out and there's gonna be cards that tell you everything that was up on the screens. So if you're like, oh, what did she say? It's all right there. But this is just, this is low hanging fruit. Yep. We wanted to say, hey guys, listen, here's a very easy, tangible way to jump in to take the first step and be in the hands and feet of Jesus, right? I'll be out at the hub too, if anybody yeah. has any and questions. And so if you have any so, questions, yeah. you can talk to you. Uh, someone who I promised I would not call a legend, but the legend, Tell him Becky not to Lee. do this. Tell him this I, is not good. I know, okay. I broke a lot thank of promises you, to her today. <laughs> but thank you, Becky, so much for that. And Becky, man, works around the clock to serve in that way. Yeah, we can, yeah, absolutely. Our Move Out Network, man, it's, it's one of the greatest things that we have going here at Kensington. So we want you to have some tangible ways to do that right? Whether it's jumping in with the Hope Water stuff, jumping in to the Move Out Network. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I don't want you to get it twisted though. This is not just another list of things you got to check off. Oh, all right. I, I checked off. I, I donated to Hope Water. I filled the bag. Now I'm on the right track. No. What does the Lord require of you? Come on. C- come take a walk. Proximity, closeness, relationship, these are just things that happen as we walk with Jesus and it begins to transform our hearts and transform our lives because then we see, oh my gosh, what's happening with the clean water and the craziness all over the world? That breaks the heart of God. And so as I'm drawing near to God and my heart is fashioned after his, it begins to break my heart. God longs for clean drinking water for everybody. So my heart begins to long for, do you see how that works? It's, it's a matter of perspective. It's not just trading one list for another. It's about the transformation of our hearts. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to challenge us in two ways, two tangible takeaways, two things that we need, I want you to process over the next few minutes as the band comes and leads us in the next song. The first one is this, the idea of walking with God. I want you to spend some time reflecting on what does it look like for you to walk with God? What does it look like to receive that invitation? He's saying, hey, come Come take a walk with me. What does that look like? I want to encourage you that it's a journey, that it's not a sprint. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of rules and regulations. God wants you to do life with him. In the gospels, when he's recruiting his disciples, what does he say? Does he say, hey, listen, guys, get your life right, solve all your sin issues, go to church for a few years, take a membership class, then you can come be my disciple. No, what does he do? He says, hey, you. Yeah, you and all your brokenness and all, all the things that you got wrong, all the things that you're messed up in, all the things that you're twisted and tangled up in. Hey, come follow me. Come do life with me for a little while. And as you do life with me, you're gonna begin to transform. You're gonna begin to change. You're gonna begin to develop and take on my heart in your life. And I feel like that's exactly what Jesus would say to us this morning. And so maybe you're in here and you've never heard that before. Maybe you're in here and you've never wrapped your head around it in that way. Maybe you're in here and you're so twisted and tangled up in all the things that I talked about at the front end of my talk, like I was. So twisted up and tangled in knots that I can't walk anywhere, much less with Jesus. And so maybe for you this morning, it's just freeing and liberating to hear the words that Jesus is inviting you to walk with him. And so over the next few moments, maybe you need to process that. Maybe you need to work through that. The second thing I want us to focus on is to pursue humility. The pursuit of humility. Man, there's a passage in James chapter four 
I think that really outlines what this can look like and what God's heart towards this is. James chapter four, starting in verse six, it says, but he gives us more grace. That is my favorite phrase in all of scripture. But he gives us more grace. When we think we're disqualified, when we think we're too twisted up in legalism, we're too twisted up in all the do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and all the trauma of our past and all the things, but he gives us more grace. And he says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then it says in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That passage starts with God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It tells us God's posture towards humility. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it says, therefore, submit yourselves then to God. Shift up your perspective of who you are in light of who he is. Shift the perspective. Submit yourselves then to God. And it says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. As you take a step, he takes a step. He will reciprocate your closeness. Might I add, he's already arms open, chasing after you. He's just, he's waiting for you to turn to him. The invitation is there. Come, walk with me. Come take a walk with me. And it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humility first. And so some of you here in this room, you need to shift your perspective on Jesus. We need to work through our perspective of Jesus. We've been viewing him in all these different ways. We've made it so difficult and so messy when he's just saying, hey, come take a walk with me. He's not some cosmic hall monitor waiting for you to mess up. But he's a humble God who longs to walk through this life with us. Some of us this morning, we just need to pursue humility. And we need to do some business with God on that because pride leads to destruction, but humility leads to transformation. Pride leads to destruction, but humility leads to transformation. And so as, these, as this band leads us in this next moment, we have a few minutes carved out before you go on with your day. I would invite you to join me in doing some business with God. To look introspectively and say, God, what are you doing inside of me? How do I need to shift my approach with you? How do I need to shift my perspective of you? God, how do I need to pursue humility? Maybe drop some of the pride and pursue humility. How do I need to step in to being the physical representation of the presence of Jesus in the here and now? Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this room. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. God, this morning, for those of us who are wrestling with this concept of who you are, and maybe we're realizing for the first time our accessibility to you and the fact that a humble God is inviting us to walk with him, to do life in proximity and relationship, experiencing closeness with you. God, soften our, help, our hearts and make us receptive to that. God, for those of us in the room who are maybe recognizing some pride in our life that has sort of tripped us up on this journey, and we're realizing even now that humility needs to be pursued. God, like, you, like the, the book of James says, 
Help us to experience more grace. Help us to receive your grace and your mercy as we pursue humility in our journey with you. God, we ask that you would do a work in our hearts and in our lives and that you would transform us this morning. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.